finish. And there's a sprint going on behind her for third place. Hayley Smith, her best ever career finish. Third place for the Canadian. Absolutely incredible. Wow, what a race that was. And that was footage from Red Bull TV of Haley Smith crossing the line in Nove Mesto in third place. Welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. I'm Matthew Piaro, editor, and with me is Dan. Hey, Dan. Hey, Matt. That was sick. Haley Smith, super stoked for her to get that podium. And not even a faux mountain bike podium. It's a real deal. You get a metal podium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dan is excited about Haley Smith's third at Novemesto, as we all are. And I speak with Haley later in this episode. Can't wait for that interview. And what else do we but oh, it before is, we get into what else we sorry. have, how are your legs, Dan? You have done some epic, oh, epic riding. I was out clicks. in the uh, in the Gatnos uh, for the uh, Ride of the Dam put on by the Techne Cycle Club in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, hosted out of the Eurosports shop there, and then it quickly crossed over the border you ride over the Gatineau Park Parkway mm-hmm. and uh, through Wakefield Chelsea and then quickly on to some of the nicest gravel roads uh, I've seen now it poured so those gravel roads were uh, a little slushy a little soupy um, I would say they were like a fine hummus um, you know our, our, our mud classifications are based, uh, our mud metaphors are based around peanut butter. But I just don't think the thickness accurately is represented by peanut butter. So I'm going with another dip. You mm. might say baba ganoush for something lighter. This is like millennial mud. Millennial. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's dips instead of dip. instead of peanut butter. Instead of like smooth or crunchy. <laughs> I'd even I'd even give you like the 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 just nuts kind just of oily kind uh, of peanut butter. No, see, I think that's thicker than than your chill. hummus. No, it's thicker than hummus for sure. <laughs> um, but like, it's like a definitely like a grocery store hummus, not like a homemade hummus. Got it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, awesome. Just I out to the uh, out to the dam near Low Quebec, and that thing is so cool. And uh, you have the power of the water rushing underneath you, and it's like truly like awe inspiring. Wow. Not to get all you know, whatever on you. Oh, oh, um, whoa, whoa. Oh yeah, all woo woo about it. Um, but yeah, awesome. And it's 180 clicks of like soupy gravel and rough Quebec road. So. A little, a little tired today. They're a little tired. Wow, understandably. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, I heard you also got out for a little, uh, little road sesh. Well, yeah, I, I, I rode on a little bit of the BT seven hundred, the butter tart seven hundred. Um, you had like a little bite of the butter tart. Just a nibble. Uh, go back to our previous episode where I interviewed Matthew Katie, the creator of the uh, butter tart seven hundred. Um, epic kind of gravel route, bike packing route in southern Ontario. But yeah, I just got a little. And I was in Mennonite country, passing horse and buggies on a Sunday morning. Are those good to draft off of, or uh... would you draft a horse? No, I wouldn't. There you go. Um, but but t- now back to the podcast. Back to, the back podcast. to official business. Uh, we have full send, no send. We are going to be talking about. Canadian treasure Jeff Kabush and uh, his hot hot takes on uh, Dirty Kansas and the events there. Oh yeah. Uh, we're gonna wrap up the Giro. Uh, see what you think about that. And then we have uh, a question of the uh, the rubberized variety. Tires. Yeah. Tires before cyclocross season. Interesting. Oh, we are just breaking borders, breaking boundaries here. 
Um, and then uh, something a little more serious. Uh, we talked to Coach Glassford about uh, taking advantage of your local geography for training. That's right. Um, he has some really good ideas for getting the most out of where you live, whether you're in an urban environment with too many stoplights and we're not, there's no suggestions of breaking laws. Um, and just, yeah, getting what you can out of your local area for the training that you need to do. So there's some really good tips and hacks. First though, let's talk cross country. When Haley Smith crossed the finish line in Nova Mesto in the Czech Republic, you could see the elation on her face. If my lip reading is right, she cusses with joy, which is probably what most of us would do if we just finished third at a mountain bike World Cup and it was our best World Cup finish of our careers. It's an honest reaction, but it's a side of Smith that's a bit different from what I usually encounter. That Smith is well-spoken, thoughtful, careful with her words, but still very honest. I spoke with Smith about a week after Nove Mesto to get her thoughts on the race and her season ahead. Haley Smith, from footage from the recent cross-country World Cup in Nove Mesto in the Czech Republic, I think I can read your lips as you cross the line. I, but I don't think I can repeat what I think you said. Um, can you tell me about how you were feeling crossing the line? This was in uh, third place, marking your first mountain bike World Cup podium. Yeah, I think I think if you have seen the video and you can lip read, then you you know how I felt. <laughs> um, I mean, it it was just it's been ten years building to that moment, ten years of of dealing with or fighting with a, a mental illness, and ten years of work. Um, in 10 years of just finding and searching for what I have in myself. So I can't really explain what it felt like to cross that finish line and to feel all of that, um, all of that history sort of just come through in that moment. But I mean, it, it felt pretty good. (laughs) Right. So at, at the moment you had that, that visceral reaction, but we're speaking a little more than, than a week after the race. Has your thinking about that moment uh, changed at all or solidified since since crossing the line? Um, yes and no. I mean, part of me uh, has, a, I think, a pretty relaxed approach and look at it. Um, it does feel like it was, you know, just a bike race and it was a bike race that went well. And so it's fun and that's awesome. Um, but I don't really I, I'm not really building it up into anything, I guess. Um, but the other part of me realizes that that's an accomplishment that is a concrete objective that I achieved that no one can ever take away from me. So I, I'll always have it. And uh, I don't feel pressure to repeat it. I feel desire to repeat it. Um, but I, I feel kind of the same about it as I, I did about my Commonwealth Games medal. And that's just that, I mean, it's just an accomplishment that I've achieved and it goes on the shelf and I'll look back at it fondly, but it's, it's, uh, it's done now. During the race, uh, Anna Tauber crashed and had some problems with her drivetrain. Uh, Yolanda Neff got a flat. Things went wrong for them, but what went right for you in this race? Um, most things went right for me. <laughs> I didn't have the best 
start loop that I wanted. I was actually, I think, 40 seconds back already after the start loop, um, just getting stuck in traffic and caught behind a crash. Um, but that also meant that I was free to ride my own rhythm and ride my own pace. So I found myself alone in sixth place for the vast majority of the race. And that meant that I could um, ride the technical at speed without having to worry about someone in front of me. Um, I was able to really jam the climbs at my own tempo pace. Um, and then, yeah, and it, once I got to the last two laps and I saw that gap coming down, I, I, I found that extra level and um, I went for it. And we did, I caught Yolanda and Sina just as uh, Anna Tauber was fixing her bike. So the three of us passed her as a group. And then I made one pass on Yolanda. And then I think she maybe flatted behind me in the big rock garden. And then it was just Sina and I, and things were still going my way. So I was able to pass her and hold her off for third. You've spoken before about this course as it's it's one of your favorites, or you, at least you, you like it a lot. Um, how does one's feeling towards a course affect how you ride the course? Um, I, that's a hard one because I also had a very good race at Alpstadt uh, the previous weekend, which is my least favorite course <laughs> out there. Um, I have the most challenges with it. Um, but it does, when you feel good on a course, it's, um, you find that flow zone a lot easier. So at Nova Mesto, where I feel, it, it feels like mountain biking in Victoria. It's very, um, it's physical and it's, uh, it's technical and it's, but it's also fun. So it's easy to get in that zone where you're just riding your bike and you're riding your bike fast. And it, um, the better you feel about a course, the less stress you feel and, um, the less sort of analysis that's going on in your brain, you're just more present. So what does this result tell you? Um, I think it tells me that, uh, well, I guess a lot of things. It validates um, my, my dream and this pursuit that I'm on. Um, it gives me a little bit of validation that I'm on the right path and that it is something that is worthwhile for me to pursue. Um, but more than that, I, I think it just tells me that I, I believing in myself is it's not an airy fairy thing. It's uh, it tells me that I do have the competence and when I can cultivate the confidence that I really can achieve what I want to achieve and rise to whatever challenges I'm faced with. So yeah, I, I guess the result just gives me the knowledge that I, I can in all senses of the word, you know, I, I, whatever's, whatever's out there, I can do it. You've spoken quite candidly about uh, your mental health um, challenges. Um, are they still something that factors into your racing in, in a, or are they just something you've managed to manage and they're just, you know, part of the scene or, or, or drift into the background? Racing is so mental that I think any, um, any turmoil that you experience mentally and emotionally does have an effect. Um, I think that my mental health struggles have helped me cultivate a lot of mental strength and a lot of um, resilience and grit. So I think they, they impact my racing in a positive way in that sense. Leading into these World Cups, I did experience um, or I had been experiencing a bit of a relapse with the, the thought patterns associated with anorexia. Um, 
so the the couple months leading into these World Cups were quite challenging, and I'm I know that they did impact my training and potentially my physical readiness. But for the most part, I think everyone out there, everyone on the race course is working with their brain to be as ready as possible. And we all have our own struggles, whether it has a clinical label or not. You can't really extricate uh, and separate the thoughts that are associated with the mental illness and then the thoughts associated with racing because it's it's just sort of, it's too convoluted. Um, but yeah, I would say that my history with mental illness has had a, both a positive and a negative effect. And it's just, I don't know, it's just something I'm stumbling through and working on every day. You mentioned your third place finish at Commonwealth Games last year. Um, this is a third place finish at a World Cup. Uh, you drew a few links. Are there any uh, deeper links between those two events in your career? Well, I think Commonwealth Games was a, a breakout uh, experience for me. I won't say result necessarily, but an experience where um, I went in pretty unconfident and feeling like I maybe didn't deserve to be there. Um, but it, I, by focusing on the process and just being grateful and enjoying the experience, um, I was able to have a good result. And I think I that attitude that I or that perspective that I picked up there, I've carried that forward. And I think that helped me to achieve what I did last weekend. Um, just being on the start line, ready and grateful and excited and making sure that my ego was in check and that I had a respect for my competitors and for the event. Yeah, so I think the perspective is that I gained from Commonwealth Games is uh, now impacting my racing a lot. What's ahead for you this summer? I guess more of the same, which is funny because it's such a wild, wild ride we're on. But um, the next, well, the, the rest of the World Cup series. So I think there are another five rounds. Um, World Championships in Canada is obviously a, a huge goal and I'm really excited. Um, and then National Championships as well. I don't know that I'll fit in any other racing because it's quite a full schedule with all of that. But yeah, just racing my bike, getting in family time where I can, and actually planning my wedding. I, Andrew and I got engaged in, in November, so we'll spend the next year planning a wedding. But yeah, just lots of bike racing. Is it, is it uh, easier to plan a wedding when both of you are, are riding and racing and planning, or does it uh, bring its own challenges? This is my first wedding, so I don't, <laughs> I don't have there you go. to compare Good point. it to. Um, <laughs> But it's proving to be kind of challenging just with the schedule. And yeah, we're, we're limited in what we can do and uh, in terms of timing, but it's just going to be a, a fun family party. So we're trying to keep the stress as minimal as possible. Uh, last year, you and Catherine Pendrell did the, the Swiss Epic. Uh, this was after World Championships. It seemed like a kind of fun end of season uh, event. Do you have anything similar uh, uh in the lineup this year? I don't have anything planned yet, but I, I was just thinking about that this week that I'd really love to have another stage race or adventure. Um, on my, uh, on my radar would be the Brazil ride, which is a seven day, I think it's seven day stage race in Brazil. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see. I will see It's going to be quite a busy fall, but I would love to fit in another stage race or even, even just like a, an, a mission, like a, a bike packing mission or something to that effect. Haley Smith, thank you very much for your time and good luck with the rest of the season. Thank you.
Haley Smith of Uxbridge, Ontario, races cross-country for Norco Factory Racing. Matthew, on your marks, get set, and we are live for Full Send, No Send. All right, I'm so excited. Um, What's the first topic? Uh, Should we launch in with uh, Mr. Jeff Kabush? Always Canada's national treasure. (laughs) What were you saying we should do? Oh, that man needs to be on a stamp. (laughs) I don't know how many signatures I need on a petition to get somebody on a stamp, but I'll start it. Yes, I agree. He should be on a stamp. Um, But like any figure who's worthy of being immortalized on a piece of postage, um, uh, we want to debate something about uh, Jeff Kabush. Now, uh, recently at Dirty Kanza, he was there looking pretty wicked in his uh, Louis Garneau custom skin suit. Custom skin suit that looked like a tank top. And And jorts. Cut off jean shorts and... Yeah, the old... And then Garnet also made him a wind vest, but it was designed as a denim vest. Because so the guy awesome. was going full Canadian tuxedo for Dirty Kanza. <laughs> it was awesome. But he tweeted after the race, um, if I was a quote-unquote pro rider or team trying to embrace alternative events like Dirty Kanza, I'd probably show up for the podium presentations, and to which he uh, put a men's podium, which was empty. Now, what he did here, and this is what the uh, the kids are calling it, he subtweeted the podium finishers. He did. Yeah, and that means tweeting about them, but not actually tagging them in the uh, in the post. Yeah, and when I f- when I read just his tweet out of context, I'm like, "You go, Jeff. That is clearly not cool. You show up to the podium." But then I got into the details, mm-hmm. and I believe this podium, the one on the stage, um, indoors was the day after yeah. the race. No. So I kind of am a bit sympathetic to the absentee people because they have busy schedules. And it's a bit tough, but it's not like these guys didn't think they were going to be on the podium. Like these guys, Stetna was uh, the winner of the Belgian waffle race. True. You know, like they've been winning some gravel events and these long ones. Like they got a good pedigree at riding bikes as well. Like, this should have been planned in. Okay. Um, and the one thing I will say uh, that saves Jeff Kabush from being a total troll is um, I think there was a fifth place finisher, yeah. Payson uh, McElveen, mm-hmm. said, uh, yeah, I admit I screwed up. And then to which uh, Kabush responded, you know, nice work. I understand yeah. these things happen. Props for owning up. So, you know, Kabush is, is you know, can be one for, is one for nuance, obviously. Mm-hmm. And people saying it. Uh, owning up to things but i don't know if i totally agree with his sort of fiery take you know what it's a bad look 100 percent. but yeah i mean i'm a full stand on jeff calling them out but i bet it's exhausting being jeff's friend you know like (laughs) he's this guy probably that friend is just so woke and makes you feel so guilty about like eating whatever um you know it's just like oh dude can we just let some things go like let's let it ride okay um i mean I'm still looking for the stamp. Big ups, Kabush. Yeah. Um, and oh, credit for the the skin suit. Like, I'm all I'm all for this anti arrow bar thing he's got going on in gravel. Like, love what he's doing, but sometimes it's just exhausting. All right, next topic. Next topic. It is the. How much time do we have? We have a good three minutes. Left. Oh, good. Okay, but still, let's time for time. the Giro. All right, Giro. Giro just ended this weekend. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, it's not one for the ages, let's say. Let's put it this way. Full well, send, no send on this Giro being exciting. Or just full send, no send on the Giro as a whole. 
Ugh, or this year's Euros. That's a, whole, a I tough say. one. Let's let's bring nuance to this one because I'm sure if you're from Ecuador, yes, this could be your 2012 this is quite the fiesta. Giro. Yeah, this is as as the 2012 Giro was to Canada. The 2019 Giro is to Ecuador. Correct. I'm referring to Ryder Hesedal's win. Um, so I don't know. Was it, you know why are you making that face? The first the first week, like you have that first Grand Tour excitement. You know, you have some sprint stages, whatever. You have the prologue or stage one in this case. But then it just kind of left you waiting. And that's it. You know, like we have to wait till stage 13 for some real fireworks. I just need a little teaser of excitement in the first week to kind of keep my keep my interest, get me peaked for what's coming up. But this was just really a tale of two races. Like, might as well have been Torino in the first week. I don't know if it, the, the Torino comparison works. Maybe the two races works. Um Here's an interesting thing from what I was thinking is that these uh, time trials, Mm -hmm. the first two time trials, I actually found kind of compelling, which is cool that I'm tuning in and really into the time trials. But maybe that's a reflection of how boring the rest of the race is, is that the time trials are the the riveting moments. I'm not saying I need five mountain stages in the first nine stages. Mm -hmm. You know, I just need like a couple compelling GC stages to start off in the first week. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Giro is known for, this kind of unpredictability. And, um, you know, I think we were just left waiting for so, so long. It was a bit of a, a, a it didn't reveal itself quickly. Maybe it got uh, Milan San Remo'd. Ooh, slow burn. Slow burn. The slow burn Giro. Yeah. Okay, moving on Finally. to a topic that's close to all our hearts, tires. Full sand, no sand on having a full quiver of tires in your pocket. Or you'll keep a quiver in your pocket, but in your garage. Sure. Or wherever. <laughs> Usually quivers are on your back. Yeah. Um, now, this doesn't sound like anything we really need to debate because more tires is good. What, what's your problem? Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Tire choice just leads to a lot of faffing about between, <laughs> you know, like you can spend. What? Oh, time is up. How you know did what? we do it? We are dismissing this alarm and we are going to keep going because we are rebels and producer Adam isn't here. Um, we're just breaking the rules yeah. no but okay you have all these tire choices I think you just paralysis by analysis and you like mm. you're like oh you know is this going to be if it's going to be a slight drizzle do I want this 35 in, thirty-five mil tire with a file tread and a knobby sidewall or do I want something with like a, a uniform center tread and like slicks on the sides I just don't know you can just so many choices you can just get overwhelmed I think this this extends beyond tire choice because you obviously you write you race cross i race cross you you want your tire choices but um but the wider thing i think you're getting to is choice <laughs> and i i feel like the time early on when i got my second pair of cycling gloves that immediately introduced <laughs> the faff i'm like oh which ones are better for today's ride and uh, i'm also reminded of of phil guyman's book um it was in draft animals in my favorite scene where there's these pros on a bus mm-hmm. and they're doing that. Are you wearing, you're going to wear our warmers today? <laughs> like even the pros yeah. go through this, but, uh, I think it's just, you gotta, it's, it's a joy and embrace it's, it. It's not a joy. It's like a hill that a hill climb. It It's kind of suffering. It's kind of glorious. Pick a tire. Choosing your tires is like climbing an HC climb. Is that what you're saying? It can be interesting. All right, I think we're done.
your local roads might not be great for your training. Maybe you face many stoplights that will interrupt your flow or a sustained heart rate. Maybe things are just too flat where you live, making it hard to improve your climbing. Coach Peter Glassford has some tips and hacks to help you get the best rides on the roads and paths in your area. What can I do to make my training rides better within an urban environment like the one I live in? What do you think, Peter? What can I do to to hack the city? Yeah, it's tough, right? And I don't think it's just the city. I think even, you know, I live in Collingwood, Ontario, which is like our mountain town. And, you know, there's certainly some of the best hills and some of the best, you know, terrain for road and mountain riding. Um, But there's certainly, there is urban traffic. There is, you know, the trail conditions can be an issue. So this issue of sort of optimizing our training, especially on a a time limited schedule, Uh, if we're working nine to five, you know, there's daylight, there's, there's a lot of factors there that are sometimes, you know, working against the, the quote unquote perfect plan. So um, some ideas, I guess, that we can use might come from, you know, we've talked about using the trainer. Um, you know, a lot of us do that in the winter. So certainly that's a, an easy thing, not a easy to do in the summer, but Mm. that's something that you might consider if you are sort of early morning or in the city and we don't need to talk too much about that because it sounds really, really uncomfortable, but it is a way that, you know, if you don't have hills or you don't have an open terrain, you know, open road to just blast down at full speed, sometimes once a week or once every 10 days, having that nice two by 20 sort of interval session, can be a big boost to training when that's never in your training program, um, just by strictly because of where you live, right? And, and that's not uncommon. Um, perhaps more fun to think about would be ways that, you know, you're in Toronto and, you know, I know in Vancouver and a lot of cities have pretty good path networks and often are sort of optimized and, and meant for cyclists. Um, so I think learning to use those for your rides and possibly intervals. I mean, you have to be very careful with speed limits and safety and there's going to be pedestrians and mixed use and all sorts of things. But, you know, there's often sections that are not trafficked by a lot of people and certainly not, maybe not by pedestrians or open up really nicely or on an uphill that you could certainly use maybe in repetitions um, to get, you know, different intervals in or different ride types. And, and again, it might be monotonous in that you have to repeat something or do out and backs, but um, I think those are often miss are not used, right? A lot of times cyclists will think they can only be on the road or, you know, that's, it's, it's sometimes an odd thing. So they, they avoid those paths, but there's often chunks of them or loops that can be used for quite effective training. So that would be maybe another concept. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny. The, the, the idea of the, the recreational path as something for me as a, say a road cyclist, it's, it's actually kind of new to me because I thought that I'm a road cyclist I should not only be on the road but that's the the recreational paths are a slow zone and if I'm keen on getting out of the city I want to be on roads I want to get moving but um, would these would this slow zone actually be good for my uh, endurance slash or maybe just my easy rides would it be a good maybe uh check on my my tendency to want to go hard anyway yeah i think you want to watch like one of the the problems in the city often is just the time spent coasting or at like very low wattage uh, because you're trying to be safe right and we all have these road bikes that are aerodynamic and super efficient and high you know tire pressure and so they roll super easy so you're instantly going really quickly 
and you know often these paths are twisty or you know stoplights or whatever so finding your route you know maybe more right hand corners you know again maybe less traffic maybe a couple like loops of you know there's like different parks often in cities right like in vancouver there's stanley park which is i believe you can do fairly steady if you do the loop um i might be misstepping on that but um, there's always like a park that has sort of a loop in it you can do so i think that's one idea there's one another idea i use with some clients is the buy-in on it is sometimes not as good but using like a cross bike with like some of your training like muddier sort of bigger slower tires um now with gravel people are more open to this so dropping the tire pressure and using your slower training tires that's obviously going to slow you down on those paths uh, and then also it'll give you the option that if you do have to go off into the grass a little bit you know to get through a heavily trafficked area or whatever um, that that would give you some more options some clients even will just train on a mountain bike um, again this is the buy-in on this for purist roadies will be harder mm -hmm. but again that's going to slow you down for a variety of reasons and give you some options in the city. Um, so that's, those are sort of ones that I, I use often with those paths. I think you'd obviously have to be very careful again with speed limits and safety, but if you look for those routes, you know, the loops in the city, um, I think you can, again, really have a, an effective training session. Yeah. I hadn't thought about the stoplights. They, uh, they break your flow a bit. And if you're trying to get a steady ride and be safe, you have to, these are maybe not complimentary things. Yeah. You don't hear about that as much. You know, we've talked about junk miles and, and just this idea of maybe riding endurance a bit too hard, but a lot of times what sort of feeds into that or is associated with that is the, the coasting, right? So our, our endurance rides are, are usually have way too much coasting in them. Mm. Uh, and what we want is just that steady load on our legs, right? We've all sort of felt what that feels like when you've been pedaling, you know, maybe you've gone to Europe or up north to the country and you've ridden for like three, four or five hours and just steady pedaling. Um, it doesn't even have to be that hard, right? It's almost better if it's not, but it's the challenge is to like stay in that zone and feel not an hour one, you're going to feel like it's too easy, but like an hour four, you should feel that, that fatigue coming on. Right. And that's, that's the endurance training that a lot of us are missing and it's hard to get. So sometimes it's these, you know, these quote, you know, these hacks, I guess, and that you're riding your mountain bike, but maybe you look like a hack, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll call myself out on it, but that's something I've used a fair bit. Um, and it definitely helps keep the, the power more steady when you're not going so fast. I've heard some people recommend uh, using uh, stoplights as a as a not in, in the endurance training kind of uh, zones, but more of an opportunity to do like a, a jump, like right off the light when it goes green, treat it almost like uh, drag racing, and you should just lay down some power, and then maybe you get to the next stoplight or the next stop sign. Is there... Is, is there value in this this method or uh, and if there are are there also maybe um, caveats that you need to, to to think about I think that's great if you're a mountain biker or a cyclocross rider for sure um, I always say like I, I don't recommend it but it's a good idea um, <laughs> what because, does that mean well there's I mean obviously safety concerns of like coming off the line at you know I don't know if like you you would have a better idea what Toronto and city uh, stoplights and like just 
how how late people run through yellows and stuff. So. That's true. That is a consideration. You do need to make sure the coast is clear, even though the light may be green. So I always figure like you can certainly practice getting clipped in, you know, almost like a slow motion start. And, and if it's a safer one or if you're comfortable with your, you know, you have a risk tolerance that's that high, then certainly go for it. Um, I think that that start sprint is definitely has benefit. I wouldn't do it all the time. I, again, variety is the, the spice of life and in training. So I would do that. Uh, for sure if you have to stop you have to stop um, the right hand corners are sometimes helpful in avoiding that if we are talking more endurance and the paths we've talked about as well to sort of avoid some of those but if, if you have to stop then certainly practicing that that start is important for those disciplines where the start is everything basically what happens if you live in a kind of flat area and you're you know that sometime that year you're you're headed out to a place to ride with elevation where where can you find like ways to help with your climbing yeah it's a tough one right i think climbing is important for a lot of disciplines um so what i usually have clients do toronto as an example but most cities you know edmonton has their river valley Mm. vancouver certainly has hills all over the place but is is use repetition right? So we're going to do hill reps. And again, it's monotonous, but it's not as bad as the trainer. So it's good. Um, But, you know, finding those hills and it's not hard to find. Like Toronto has a couple that are sort of in that, I don't know, three, four minute type range. And again, it depends what bike you're on and how fit you are. Uh, But certainly those, those repetitions and and repetitions in terms of five by two minute hill intervals, really hard, but you could also do, you know, a bunch of reps in an endurance ride, right? We get into this looped idea you know, how many times you just wrap around some of these roads and Toronto's has some very lovely, like almost closed roads that are hills and you can pedal down a lot of them for the most part. So, I mean, you could actually stay sit fairly steady and just put your way up and get in 10 times up these little climbs, right? And it greatly boosts that elevation gain, your ascent, uh, in, in terms of that endurance ride. And, it's, it's going to help, right? Like I often look at the amount that clients are climbing when they first come to me, because a lot of times when you do live in a city or, a, you know, in the flatlands where most of settlements are, it's, it's not, it's not a huge amount, right? But then we go and we want to do a mountain bike race where, you know, there's 200 meters of climbing every lap, usually on average, say a hundred, even a hundred to 150 um, is still a lot more than what a lot of people would get in rides once you do a few laps. So we have to be ready for that. So between doing hill repetitions, doing repetitions during endurance rides at endurance pace, and then also I think the other thing to remember is that we can leave those areas and drive, right, which sucks, but planning those mm. those opportunities to go and drive to elevation is important, especially if you have races that are going to require that. I think your tip about the, the riverbank is key. And it reminds me of, um, uh, I once was speaking with the, uh, the former uh, technical director and course designer for the Tour of Alberta. And he was working with a lot of, you know, fairly flat terrain. But where, whatever city he, he was able to work with, he'd always find the riverbanks and send pros up and down these riverbanks to get some, some you know, variety in the course and also if you look at quebec and montreal those are those are some seriously hard loops that uh, the pros do and they get really good elevation on those well and even we were in saskatchewan and moose jaw and they have um it's like a lake valley 
Mm. Um, and it's actually a surprisingly big hill. Like it's pancake flat and then it actually drops like your farm fields, farm fields, and then drops like a ton. And so it was actually really, really good trails, but they have a couple roads and like sort of loops around the lake and stuff too. And you could rack up a decent amount of climbing there. There you go. Uh, there, there are climbs to be had across the nation. Thanks very much, Peter. Pleasure. Peter Glassford is a professional coach and head of Smart Athlete Coaching Services. Send your Ask a Coach questions for Peter to podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca. And that's the episode. It's put together by me, Matthew Piaro, Dan Walker, and Terry McCall with help from Philippe Tremblay. It's produced by Adam Killick. He also composed the music. Thanks to Ontario Creates for its support. Now, if you want more of what we're doing at Canadian Cycling, check us out at cyclingmagazine.ca. There you can check out all our social channels. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but not TikTok. uh, So your kids can't find us. Um, And if you are going to tell somebody about the podcast today, who should it be, Matthew? Okay. um, In honor of Jeff Kabush's outfit for Mm -hmm. Dirty Kanza, let's say you are trying to go totally authentic and you're at the thrift store looking for like a jean jacket vest and you know a a sufficiently worn tank top (laughs) and um and distressed uh jean shorts tell the folks at the thrift store a why you're buying this Mm -hmm. what you're going to use it for and that it'll all make sense if you download the canadian cycling magazine podcast now when they do download matthew what should they do well they should rate it how many stars? The correct number of stars is always five. Yes. And when they write a comment, what should they say? Something nice. It's yeah. better to say something nice. If Golden you know that, rule. It's like kindergarten. Back to kindergarten. Say something nice. Um, but seriously, we would really appreciate that. Please rate and review. It helps us a lot. And we'll talk to you later. Later.